so God has called us as believers to be the hands and feet and to deliver the message of the gospel. And one way that we do that is that God raises up men and women who are called specifically to leave their area of comfort and go all over the world preaching the gospel. And listen, we're spoiled here when it comes to being able to communicate the gospel. We have missionaries that are going all over the world in places that are hostile to Christians and places that are, that are downright aggressive and killing Christians. It still happens on a regular basis all across the world. And yet God has raised up men and women to leave where they're from and to go where God has called them to do the work that God has called them to do. How we partner with that is we support them financially. Listen, everybody needs support financially, right? Everybody needs, you You work a job to support your family. You make your kids do chores to support your family. Like We all work towards supporting the things that God has called us to do. Well, for missionaries, uh, as a fellowship, we support them through monthly giving. Our children do BGMC, our teenagers do Speed the Light, and as adults, we do something called faith promises. You might have gotten an envelope on your way in. What's faith promise? It's your promise of monthly support towards the over 60 plus missionaries that we have. Now, we will never follow up with you on your faith promise. Whatever you decide in your heart that you want to give on a monthly basis, that's between you and the Lord to commit to that. And so if you say, hey, I'm going to give $2 or $200, I'm not going to look it up and go, well, Bob said he was going to give $200, and I, we're not going to grab you by the ankles and shake the change out of your pockets. That's between you and God. Here's what I will encourage you with. Never in my life, as much as I've tried, and the Bible attests to this, never in my life, have I been able to outgive God? I've tried on several occasions. The more we've given, the more we've received. That's not always monetarily, but God will always bless a cheerful giver. And so how we support our 60 plus missionaries is through the faith promise. So all you got to do is you fill that out. If you want to go home and pray about it and turn it in on Wednesday, you can go ahead and do that. But we take time. My wife and I have been doing this even before we were married. We take time. We pray about what we're going to give. And then we encourage ourselves to give that monthly. And listen, you can sacrifice a little bit. Maybe you just say, hey, this year, we're, we're just not going to buy coffee. <sighs> I can't survive without my Dunkin'. Yeah, you can. You probably live healthier. Like, we, we can survive without a little, little things to say, you know what? I'm going to give up buying coffee this year so that somebody has an opportunity to sit down with the coffee and a missionary and hear the gospel. Like, that's my, my sacrifice. That's what I want to give. And so what we do is twice a year, we have what we call a mission celebration, where we bring out one of our missionaries to share what God is doing on the other side of that giving. And so we are very encouraged this weekend. We have the Hosfelds. Uh, yesterday, they did a wonderful workshop for us on how to reach and, and win Muslim brothers and sisters to the gospel. Uh, just a whole wonderful background on what they believe, why they believe it, and how we can use the things that God has given us to reach them. Uh, Linda Hosfeld is now down the hall with our children, ministering to them and encouraging them. And this morning, Mark is going to be bringing the word to us. Uh, they've spent years on the South side. Oh God, we pray for them. They lived on the South side for a few years. Uh, they spent seven years uh, pastoring on the South side before God called them to the mission field. And they spent several years in Pakistan as missionaries in Pakistan. And then they spent several years as area directors. And he's an uh, adjunct professor at like God knows how many universities teaching how many things. And so we are so blessed to not only have a well-educated, powerful couple, but people who love and fear God and are part of our support team. So would you give it up? As a matter of fact, would you do me a favor? Would you stand up and celebrate our missionary, Mark Hosfeld? 
Thank you, Pastor Joey. Great to be here, brother. Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you today. It's wonderful to be back at Belmont. I was here a number of years ago, and it's wonderful to have Linda with me this time. And as Pastor said, she's with the children. She'll be speaking in the Spanish service this afternoon. And we're really looking forward to the Q&A tonight with the young adults. And I don't know if it's permissible, but if you're not a young adult, you want to come out. Please come out, because if there are any questions, especially what's happening in the world today with Israel and Hamas and where Islam is in the world today and how that not just impacts the Middle East, but how it impacts our lives, Please come out tonight and bring your questions with you, and we will do our best to answer them. If we can't answer them, we will research and return, get your email address, and do our best to answer that question. I want to touch on a few things that Pastor said just to reiterate. Uh, first of all, El Milagro tortillas are the very best in the city of Chicago. 26th Street. Little village is where they're made. And I know that because we did a lot of evangelism when I pastored Maranatha Church, Maranatha Assembly of God, when I was there. And we actually led one of the owners of El Milagro to the Lord when on an evangelism <laughs> visit. <laughs> and so they are anointed tacos now. They are spirit-filled tacos. You can have a spirit-filled taco with their great tortillas. The next thing I want to reiterate is just the aspect of BGMC. What in the world does that mean? Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge. And I remember my first exposure when I was six years old at Bethel Temple Assembly of God in Dayton, Ohio, where I grew up, is that they handed out this little wooden buddy barrel. And they talked about how if we gave our pennies, our nickels, our dimes, our quarters, that it would go to support missionaries. Well, that's grown into a plastic, bigger barrel now that kids put their money in. But as Pastor said, with this church giving $12,000 last year, that is remarkable. And let me just say this as a missionary. There's no better monies to get for a missionary, or when we were area directors, to receive to distribute to missionaries than BGMC money, because this is the reason. BGMC money is non-designated, meaning it can go to anything on the mission field. Speed of the light has to go to certain things. Light for the lost has to go to certain things. But when a missionary is in a pinch and they need money to do mission amongst a people group that hasn't heard the gospel, it's great to be able to have those BGMC funds on hand so that we can distribute them to missionaries. So if your children are involved. If your child comes home with a buddy barrel and they want to start collecting change around the house, believe me, it literally changes the world. This church has been involved with us for decades now. When we've pastored in the city of Chicago, we left here in 1992 to go into missions to Pakistan. From that earliest day that we went into missions, this church has been behind us. And so I just want to say on behalf of Linda, and even our three kids are now grown and married and have their own kids, we just want to say thank you, Belmont, for your faithfulness and giving. There's no way that missionaries can make it to the field unless the local church gets behind them. And that's the wonderful thing about Assemblies of God World Missions. Some pastors say, well, we hate it that you guys have to go out and itinerate and travel and go church to church. Please don't feel any pity for a missionary whatsoever because we have the best missions agency in the world. I remember I was standing at the border of Afghanistan at the Oxus River. I was on the Tajikistan side of that river before we went into Afghanistan. And I was talking to this German fellow next to me. 
And he was a Christian. He wasn't with our mission organization, but we were going into Afghanistan to do some research on how we can minister there. And he asked me, so who are you a part of? And I said, we're the, part of the Assemblies of God. And he's a German. He says, oh, you're the Mercedes of missions. <laughs> I never thought about it that way, but thank the Lord for our four mothers and fathers, how they worked out missions the way it is today. And it's been highly successful all around the world. On the table, as you leave today, as you right out this door here, as you bend to the left, if you leave this direction, uh, if you go to the very end, you'll see Say Hello Serving Muslim Women. This is the ministry that my wife founded and leads. Uh, there are all kinds of materials on that table that are actually there because of BGMC and Light for the Lost. And so we encourage you to pick up those materials. Uh, people yesterday at the seminar, we just had a wonderful group of people pick those materials up, and it helps you to understand what Muslims believe, how you can engage Muslim people. Because I'm sure everybody here, whether it's their neighbor or in the workplace or the marketplace, has contact with Muslim peoples. And my belief is that God sends people from around the world. And that's what I particularly love about the north side. I pastor on the south side around 59th and Central Park. But what I love about the north side is that there is tremendous diversity here. I mean, you have the nations. Wherever you look, there's a different ethnic group or a different nation that's represented. So this church is really primed in this Jerusalem to be able to touch the world. You can do global mission on the home front. And I want to talk about that today. One of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Acts. Because I believe what we read in the book of Acts is not just the history of the first century of the church, but I believe it's a narrative that teaches us what is the norm for the church. It's how we're to flow and the function, and it only makes sense. I believe God gave us the book of Acts through Luke who wrote it so that we would understand this is the kind of people we are to be, and here is what we are to believe, and here is what we are to do in the world today. And two of my favorite chapters in the book of Acts are found in chapters 3 and chapter 4. And I'm going to allude to chapter 3 just a little bit as a background. Did a little bit of chapter 4, but our preaching portion today is going to be Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. And it's called the Believer's Prayer. Now, we've all heard about the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. I love that prayer. I literally pray that prayer every day in the morning. But I also love this Believer's Prayer. Because it educates us as to how we are to pray as Christ followers in the world today. Not just as a missionary, nor just as a pastor, but how we are to pray as the people of God. Because I'll tell you this, I've been a pastor for 10 years, and I've been a missionary since 1992. And I know this, that we are never going to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ if it's left up to missionaries and pastors. We need the body of Christ, and that's you, to flow and function in the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he has given, and especially as a Pentecostal people, and what that means is this, if you're not familiar with it, we are endued with power by the Holy Spirit, by God's anointing, so that we can be empowered to proclaim Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I remember I passed by a Catholic church in our neighborhood on the southwest side, and the four neighborhoods that we targeted were Gage Park, West Lawn, West Elstead, and Chicago Lawn. And I drove by this Catholic church, and on the sign it said, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words, St. Francis of Assisi. Well, guess what? St. Francis never said that. 
I checked into that. St. Francis never said it. He was a preacher. But that is a misnomer because we not only need to live the life by what we don't say, but we are also empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak the gospel. We are a proclaiming people. And this is what we see here with Peter and John as they are going to the temple. It's wonderful. It's three o'clock in the afternoon. Jews pray three times during the day at nine o'clock at noon, then at three o'clock. And on this particular day, Peter and John are going to the temple. And they're just not at any particular place in the temple. They're at a place called the Beautiful Gate, it tells us in chapter 3. And as they're at the Beautiful Gate, there was a man that the text says that was placed there every day. And he was lame. He couldn't walk, so he had to be laid there. And he was laid there at the Beautiful Gate, and there he would spend the day. And the day for a Jew was 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. So he had laid there during the day, and he would beg alms. So here come along Peter and John, and as they walk by this man, this man begs of them to give him some kind of money. And Peter and John were good missionaries. They said, silver and gold have we none, (laughs) right? Silver and gold have we none, but in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And it says that the man's legs became strong, and he stood up, and he began to run, and he began to leap, and he began to praise the Lord. Now, this beautiful gate is significant. This is like State in Madison in the city of Chicago. It is the most busy part of the temple between the court of the Gentiles where the nations would come that had accepted Judaism. So it was the largest court in the temple. So it was loaded with all of these people from around the world. And it was adjacent to the court of the women. And it was always a busy place. And so here's where this man laid. Yet at the busiest place in the temple is where Jesus heals this man as Peter and John pray for him. Well, this caused a huge ruckus. And the last thing the Jews wanted was a ruckus. Because when the ruckus took place, then the Roman authorities, the occupiers of Palestine, of Israel, would come in and they would quash it. So there were people like the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection, but they were very wealthy. If they stayed in good with the Romans, then the Romans would let them keep making their money. It was a place where the Pharisees were. And the Pharisees were like the jihadists of the day. They were the fundamentalists. They were the strict ones. They did believe in the resurrection, but they also were present. And then there were the elders that everybody liked, and there were the high priests. And these people put together were called the Sanhedrin, the ultimate religious body of the Jewish people. So Peter and John, because of this ruckus, are brought before the Sanhedrin, and as they stand before them, It says in the text that they recognized that they were ignorant men. And that word ignorant literally means, in our day, they didn't have a college degree. Uh, They weren't sophisticated in their education. They recognized that these guys had been laborers, and they had been fishermen, right? But they recognized there was something about them. And so they realized that Jesus had risen from the dead, They couldn't deny the fact that this 40-plus-year-old man was healed. He's standing right there. And then yet they say to them, we don't want a ruckus. We don't want a problem. We don't want you raising up any issues that are going to cause us difficulties and even hurt our pocketbooks. And so we forbid you to speak about this Jesus. Well, Peter and John, like us today, we've seen Jesus. We've heard Jesus. We've experienced Jesus. 
And Peter looks at them and says, sorry, not going to happen. We cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And with that, they were persecuted, and then they let them go. So what do they do? That brings us back to our preaching portion today. It brings us to the believer's prayer in Acts chapter 23, 423, where it says on their release, and I'm going to read the passage to you. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Listen to this, verse 28. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Nothing surprises God. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then it says in verse 31, after they prayed, after they prayed, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Father, give us ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning. This is a time of missions emphasis, a time that this church looks to the world. I pray that we will do that, and I pray that we will look at our own hearts. Give us ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as the people of God. In Jesus' strong name we pray and agree. Amen Amen. and amen. So it says on the release they went back to their own people. And they report, this is what's happened. Gives them a background, probably more detail than I ever gave you because it's recorded in scripture and Luke wrote it down. And I love what it says here. They say in their prayer, they begin with sovereign Lord. Now that word usually is a word for Lord called kurios. And it means Lord, the ones who are in control. But I was talking to my friend Bob Menzies, who's a scholar. And he said to me, here the word kurios is it used as the word despotes. Now, when you think about that, you may think about despotic or evil or something such as that. But the word despotes literally means, when they say sovereign Lord, it means the one who has absolute rule and authority and cannot be countered, it cannot be negotiated with, cannot be a person or a being of compromise. Sovereign Lord, they said, we're being persecuted. We're under the gun now. We're not the popular movement that we were, though when Peter preached in chapter 3, 5,000 people were added to the church. But they realize now there are people under persecution. Let me just say this. We are now living in an age in the United States where we are no longer a, a country that's been in the realm of Christendom. We are becoming more secularized more and more and more. 
And it comes against us as a church because we are a counter people. Listen, this is nothing new. This was happening in the first century because Judaism at this time in history was at its apex of evangelistic fervor. And so this early church recognizes in the midst of persecution, in the midst of opposition, that they can cry out, Sovereign Lord, you are in absolute control. And that should be part and parcel of our beginning of prayer as well. That when we pray, no matter what we lay before the Lord, no matter what obstacles we face, if it's even out there, we can say, Sovereign Lord, you rule and reign over anyone, anything, any government, any religion, any politics. You are the Sovereign Lord. You rule and reign in majesty supreme. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So they recognize that God is the God of all. And that's important for us to do as well. But then in verse 25, they slip into praying Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. I love this. They begin to pray the word of God. And I always tell people that I'm discipling, if you want to know for certain that you're praying in the will of God, first of all, you pray in tongues. As the Holy Spirit prays through you, the Holy Spirit prays the will of God. The second way to know that you're praying the will of God is to pray scripture. And so they go to the word of God. They go to the first messianic psalm in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, where it says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed And as I read before, listen to this in verse 28. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. So in this dynamic of God being the sovereign Lord, he knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. And what we see happening in the world today, sometimes when people come against us as the body of Christ, we get a militant kind of spirit. I have some friends that are very, very violent in their thinking and their words towards people that aren't Christ's followers. Whether it's a political party or it's Hamas or the Palestinian people, things that are happening and are very current for us today. This is not the way Christ's followers should be. You see, when I was in Pakistan with my wife and three children, uh, we started Teen Challenge. We got that started with the blessing of the government of Pakistan. That was a miracle. We church planted while we were there. And we were living there during 9-11. The Al-Qaeda bases were just 200 miles away from our house. And so when 9-11 happened, our leadership of the Assemblies of God World Mission said, you need to leave the country. So after a week, uh, we were area directors then, so we had to organize the evacuation of our missionaries in Pakistan and Afghanistan. And so we headed back to the United States. We were there waiting to go back. And on one morning, on March the 17th, 2002, six months after 9-11, I was ready to go preach in Plainfield, Illinois, just outside of Joliet. And my colleague who was in Florida called me and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm getting ready to go preach in a church in Illinois. He said, turn on the news. They bombed our church. And so I turned on CNN, and the first thing that appears on the screen is the front of the church where we were a part of, that we attended on a weekly basis, and there were people on stretchers covered with white linen sheets that had blood soaking through that I recognized their faces, and I thought, what in the world is going on? What I came to find out is that two Al-Qaeda terrorists 
had gone into our church. Each had three Russian-made hand grenades, and one of them had an explosive vest on their body. They went into the church as the pastor was preaching. He was actually an oil executive with an oil company, and he was preaching that morning. And he told me that as they came in two entrances of the back of the sanctuary, they both called out, Allah Akbar, God is great. And then they began to pull the pens out of the hand grenades and throw them in the midst of the congregation all over. And that sanctuary is about this size, with a much higher ceiling, maybe twice as high ceiling. And so they threw the great hand grenades in, three of the six hand grenades exploded, and then one of the terrorists in the back on the left pulled the cord and he blew himself up in the church. So I said to Linda, I said, Linda, I'm going to call the pastor, I'm going to tell him I can't make it, get me tickets at O'Hare back to Pakistan as soon as possible, I need to start leading member care in that church. And so I started down from our kitchen to go downstairs to get some luggage. And as I was going down the stairs halfway, there was this rage and this anger that was building up inside of me. I mean, feelings, I had feelings that I hadn't had since before I came to Jesus. And I was so mad at what these terrorists had done to our congregation because the end result was four people in our congregation were killed and 85 were wounded that morning. And I got halfway down those stairs and I stopped and I literally said this and I have your pastor's permission to say it. I said, those dirty bastards. I was so filled with rage. I wanted an eye for an eye. I wanted a tooth for a tooth. I wanted to do bad things to bad people. My son became a captain, was advanced to major in special ops. He did that kind of stuff. I wanted to be a part of that. If I was 22 years old again in the shape I was, it'd be sign me up, let's do bad things to bad people. And then as I stood there, halfway down the stairs with this rage boiling within me, I felt the finger, I literally felt the finger of the Holy Spirit stick into the sternum of my chest. And the Holy Spirit said to me, the voice of Jesus said to me, I died for those terrorists. He died for all. We cannot determine who he died for and who he didn't die for. We're not Calvinists. He wills some to heaven. He wills some to hell. He wills that all should have eternal life. And if it's some go to heaven and some go to hell, then I'm out of this. Because I don't know who I'm talking to. But when I talk to people, even a potential terrorist, and I know it's God's will for them to know Jesus, I'm going to go full all out to share with them. And that's where Peter and John are here. So even as Jesus suffered and died, God knew before and what was going to happen. And so our sovereign Lord knows what we're facing, what we're going through in our context. And that's the power of this prayer. That when you and I pray this prayer, and I encourage you to literally pray this prayer, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you, to change your heart and to change your mind and to realize whatever is going on in this world, whether it's in your neighborhood, in the city of Chicago, Cook County, the state, the nation, the world, understand that he is the sovereign Lord and he is in absolute control and nothing surprises God. He knows the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. Now, Lord, consider their threats. This is their prayer. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And what do they say? And keep us safe and protect us. And let no harm come to us whatsoever. 
because we know that if we die, the church dies with us. No, they say now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I want to exhort you, Belmont Assembly of God, as the world will never be reached with just missionaries and pastors, I want to exalt every man, every woman, every teenager, every young adult. I don't care what your socioeconomic level is. I don't care what your ethnicity is. I don't care less what your race is. You are called of God to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to herald the gospel to people who don't know Jesus. And if you are timid in that, then ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. Linda and I have never been able to do it on our own, whether it was in Chicago, Lawn, in this city, or whether it was in Pakistan or Central Asia. We need the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Pastor can't do it on his own. Neither can Sicily, because we can't. It's impossible. That's why we are endued with the Spirit of the living God. Never leave the infilling of the Holy Spirit of God out of your life. Yes. Every day, I encourage you to pray and to pray that God will continually baptize you in the Holy Spirit and it will be manifest to you as you begin to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gives you utterance. That's just not a devotional sign. It's just not to use in your quiet time. But it's God saying to you, you are speaking in tongues as a sign to you as my follower that you are empowered with the Holy Spirit to be my witnesses and proclaim the gospel. That's why we're filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God. That's why Muslims are coming to Jesus like at no other time in history. Islam is on the run. It is on the run. So with Hamas, when they do the horrible things they do, this is just spiritual warfare incarnate. This is the desperation of Satan manifest. And the last thing God wants us to do is hate them. God wants us to love them and to pray for them. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I want you to love your enemies and I want you to pray for those that despitefully use you. We have no place for such hatred in our hearts. We are the image of Christ. We are Christians. And in Antioch, we were first called that in the first century and it means little Christs. We are little Christ no matter where we go. When we scatter from this place, we're like seeds going into the north, northwest side of the city of Chicago. And he wants to plant the gospel wherever we go. He wants us to pray for our neighbors to the north, south, the east, and the west. He wants us to be our proclaimers with boldness. And does that mean grabbing people by the lapel? Does it mean being obnoxious? Does it mean saying, brother, are you saved? No. It means building a relationship with people. It means inviting them into your home. It means leaning into spiritual conversations. It means sharing with them why eventually you have the hope of eternal life. That you have no doubt whatsoever that you don't fear death. It's building relationships with people and infusing the gospel into their lives by your life and by your words as well. It's being hospitable towards them. It's welcoming their invitation into their home eventually. It means doing this with Hindus. It means doing it with Muslims. It means doing it with Buddhists. It means doing it with secular humanists. It means doing it with everyone. Because every woman and man is the Imago Dei. They are the image of God. And we are to fulfill the Missio Dei. That is the mission of God. That is why we exist. That is our purpose. You want to find purpose? It's advancing the gospel. 
God uses our jobs and other things as an also win to be able to accomplish that. And so they go on and pray in verse 30. I love this. I love this, where they say, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Again, we're filled with the Holy Spirit to proclaim, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit to be used in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're to be conduits of the power of God. One of the first Muslims I had the chance to lead to the Lord in Pakistan is a young man by the name of Noor. We were in language school together. He was studying English. We were studying Urdu. He was in our home many times. And so we started a Bible study and a Quranic study. So we started studying the Bible, the Quran, and it was my end to get him to read the Bible. And eventually, he didn't want to read the Quran anymore. He just wanted to study the Bible. So we talked about all the things about Jesus, his person, his work, his salvation, his healing power. Well, one day I'm at school and I get word that Noor has been hit by a car on his way to school. He's about 22 years old. He flew off his bicycle, hit his head on the curb, fractured skull, concussion. So immediately after school, another brother and I, who was a Swiss Pentecostal, we went to the hospital he was in. We asked where he was. We went into the ward. There were so many people in there with their families, and that's the way it's done in Pakistan. And so we go up to Noor's bed, and he's thrashing. He's thrashing back and forth in his bed. And I said, Noor, Noor, this is Mark, and Stefan is with me. We're here. We want to pray for you. And he looks at me in his pain. He says, Mark, would you pray that, that the healing power of Jesus would touch me? <laughs> this is a Muslim. I said, yes, I will. <laughs> and so Stefan and I laid hands on him in front of the family, and we prayed for him, and his thrashing began to die down. Well, I had a friend that was a doctor at the Canadian Embassy, Dr. Jenny, and so I said, hey, Dr. Jenny, would you come to the hospital with me? Let's check out Nora. She knew who he was, so she went with me the next day, and we go to the same ward, to the same bed, and there he is laying there with the sheet over his head. Now, what does that mean in the United States? Yeah. Cronk. <laughs> Cut him. Finished. Dead. Kaput. Well, in Pakistan, it just means you want privacy. So you see somebody laying around with a sheet over their head. That they're not dead. They just want privacy. <laughs> and so I asked the family, I said, you know, may I, may I look at I look at him? And they said, you know, yes. <laughs> and so I pulled the sheet back. And as I'm standing there, Dr. Jenny's going, you know, uh, this chart that I'm looking at at the foot of the bed, he, he's got thyroid problems. And he's got prostate problems. And, you know, he's got all these kind of middle-aged guy problems. And I'm thinking, he's 22 years old. And so I pull the sheet down, and there's this guy about 55, 60 years old laying there. Noor's gone. So I went, Mwafkijie. It means in Urdu, excuse me, I'm sorry. Let's get out of here now. So I went to the nurse's station. I said, where's Noor? And she goes, oh, we released him last night. So I said, all right, I know where he lives. Dr. Jenny, you want to go to his house? Yes, I do. This is medical irresponsibility. Fracture skull, concussion. They should have never let him out of the hospital. So we go to his house. I knock on the door. Who answers the door but Nor? By the way, his word means light in Arabic. And he looks at me and he says, please, come in. Didn't say anything else. He goes, like with wonderful Pakistani hospitality, goes to the kitchen, makes us some delicious tea, chai, and brings out cookies. We, they call them biscuits, but cookies. So he brings out this tray, he sets it down, he sits in the chair, he looks at me and says, was I healed by the healing power of Jesus you taught me about? And I said, yes, Noor, you were healed by the power of Jesus. A few months later, he came with us to the International Church for a Thanksgiving service. 
and he made his profession of faith to follow Jesus as his Savior and Lord. Amen. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Remember in your evangelistic efforts, in your missional efforts to win the world to Christ, you're empowered to proclaim. But like the early church in verse 30, we're also to pray and to be empowered to lay hands upon the sick and for God to confirm his word in healings, signs, wonders, and miracles. Don't let the devil talk you out of it. They'll say, but what if they don't get healed? Well, if you don't pray, they definitely are not going to get healed. And guess what? You and I don't do the healing anyway. We are conduits of the power of God. And when God confirms his word by healing signs, wonders, and miracles, the purpose of signs, wonders, and miracles is to confirm the word of God being true. That's why God does it. It just isn't to give some kind of tingling great testimony. It's to confirm the truth. This gospel is true. So it was with Jesus. So it was with the early church. And nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. It's as real now as it was then. It's a matter for us as his church, like the early church, to step into the truth of God and to live out the truth of God in our lives and to be available, to be used of God. Remember, the Sanhedrin said, these are ignorant men. They don't have a college degree. Who are they? Jesus does not look at the abilities you have, but you've heard it before. He does look to see if you're available. So be available to God. And then it goes on to say in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It returns to the very beginning that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the apostles. These are the believers at this time. There's one baptism, but there are many fillings. And so I want to exhort you and encourage you each and every day, ask the Lord, first thing of the day, don't wait till night. First thing of the day, maybe you're driving to work. Maybe you're taking a shower. Maybe it's your quiet time that you have set aside at a certain place at a certain time before you go to work or go to school or whatever. But say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And do me with your power from on high. I know that there's someone today I'm going to meet that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord. You know I'm praying for Bill. You know I'm praying for Jose. You know I'm praying for Juanita. Lord, today, let me speak your truth and nudge them further by the leading of your spirit closer and closer to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. You'll be ready when they talk about a problem in their family or in their own life. Maybe it's a healing. Maybe it's a a marriage that's on the rocks. Perhaps it's a child that's running away that's having difficulty and problems. You'll be ready to say, hey, Bill, Juanita, Jose, guess what? Jesus can intervene. Hey, this is God, friends. Don't think about how it looks on you. I can't think about how it looks on me. It's all up to God. It's what he said. Either he's a liar or he's true. And so say in the name of Jesus, Bill, Jose, Juanita, if you want to pray for this need, we will pray. And I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. And if they're a Buddhist, a Hindu, or a Muslim, or secular humanist, never just owe in the name of the Almighty God. No, pray in the name of Jesus. Because in the name of Jesus, there is power. 
power and let them experience the power of God as you're being used as his emissary, his ambassador, as you're being used as his missionary in your Jerusalem. Be an apostolic person. Push the frontier of the kingdom of God wherever you are. Push it because God's right behind you. And it's like a goal line stance. There's nothing better than to put a tight end in with a big fullback and knock him over the line. So this morning, as we conclude, these kingdom dynamics, this prayer is for all of us. And I want to challenge you. Yes, I want you to pray for missionaries. I want you to pray for Linda and me. I want you to give to missions. I want you to continue to give to BGMC, Light for the Lost, Speed the Light. Yes, be generous in your offerings this week so that you can continue to support more missionaries to further the gospel all around the world. But I want you at the same time to be empowered and to be anointed to reach your Jerusalem. Because I'm not going to be able to do it. There's not enough of pastor to do it. It takes the body of Christ actualized by the enabling of the Holy Spirit to go forth in the name of Jesus. And I want to ask you right now, if you are saying, I will do that, Mark, I will pray this prayer. I challenge you to pray this prayer throughout this week, Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, that you will pray it and you will say, God, use me. I'll make myself available to you. If you're willing to do that, don't do it because everybody else is doing it. Don't do it because I'm asking you to do it. I want you to do it because you sense the Holy Spirit witnessing to you and unctioning you to stand up. So if you were willing to do that, I want you to stand up in the name of Jesus right now. No music, nobody looking around, nobody coming to the altar. Just stand up and say, yes, I will pray this prayer. I will be endued with the power of the Holy Spirit. I will be the witness that Christ calls me to be. I'm going to pray for you. And then Pastor Joey is going to come. So let's pray. And I want you to pray and I want you to commit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ to fulfill this apostolic calling that you have on the north side of Chicago amongst the glorious ethnic people groups, races, and religions that are in this area. What prime time. <laughs> you have the world at your doorstep. I envy you. I envy you. Lord, lead me back to Chicago. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for these women and men. Thank you, Lord, for those that are standing. Thank you for those that are still sitting. I respect and honor their honesty. So we rejoice in their honesty because you will move their hearts eventually. Lord, I pray for those that are standing, that you will enable them and empower them by the Holy Spirit. I pray that they will pray your word and realize that you're the sovereign God and you're in absolute control, that there's nothing that they're facing, there's nothing happening in their world that you already don't know about and you're doing something about, that they need not fight against it in the flesh, but they can commit it to you in prayer and you will bring about your sovereign acts of justice and righteousness, no matter who they are, no matter what they do, no matter what they're facing. And Lord, I pray that you will embolden, that you'll fill them with the Holy Spirit every day, that you will empower them, they would speak the word of God to other people in a loving, kind, respectful way. Let them be your salt in your light, your salt in this city that's like rotting meat, your light in this city that's in such darkness. Let them be beacons on the hill that all may see and experience. And I pray, Lord, that as they are filled with your spirit and speaking your word, that you will empower them with the gifts of healing, of signs and wonders, that as they lay hands upon the sick, Lord, they 
realize that it's not them, but it's just their availability to you, being used of you, because they've asked of you. They've obeyed the word of God. Lord, let that happen in and through them. I pray that they will lay hands upon the sick and that the sick will be healed in the name of Jesus. I pray that demons will be cast out because of their prayers. I pray that the oppressed will be set free in the name of Jesus. I pray that they will bring transformation to their neighborhoods like nothing else the city or the state or the nation can do. It's the body of Christ at work. And Lord, I pray every day, every day as in verse 31, that they will pray and they will be filled with the Holy Spirit once more, 365 days a year, to complete the work of the, of the proclamation of the gospel that you've beckoned them to be a part of. We ask this and we pray this together in Jesus' strong and mighty name. And the word amen says, so be it. So let's shout out, amen. Amen.